1: This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Deep State Radio. I'm your host, David Rothkoff, and we have got a great episode for you. I'm in New York City in Washington, D.C. We have a wonderful group starting with Corey Shocky of the American Enterprise Institute. Hi, Corey.
0: Hello, David.
1: And in her wonder recliner in Alexandria, Virginia, Rosa Brooks, who's um, seeing the world in the most comfortable way possible. Hi, Rosa.
2: Hi, David. And and if you hear a crunching noise, it's because I'm eating these wonderful things my children bought called pirate's booty. And they're pirate's really, booty. Good, really crunchy.
1: It's not, it's, it's, well, we can debate whether that's a a healthy lunch or not. Uh, And uh, our friend, Joe Cirincione, who's now a distinguished fellow at the Quincy Institute, um, which is, I think, a cool place that's devoted to not fighting wars. Isn't that kind of the general thrust of the Quincy Institute, Joe?
3: That's exactly right. We've overextended ourselves on pointless wars, as John Quincy Adams says, we went in pursuit of monsters to slay.
1: Well, so I've, needless
0: I've, to say, I object to that description, both of American foreign policy and of the purposes of the Quincy Institute. And we're oh. off to a great start. Thank you very much for having
3: me on here. <laughs> I, I can spice things up for you. Well, how would you <laughs> describe the co-
1: How would you describe the Quincy Institute, Rosa? I mean, Corey.
0: Uh, I would describe it as committed to retreat from international security obligations that have stabilized the order and been advantageous to America's prosperity and security.
2: Ooh. Oh, whoa. Wow. Words, Joe. Oh, you, yeah. You're not going to that lying down, are you?
3: No, no, you know, th- this, this is a whole big subject, but there's been a number of articles recently talking about the need to um, correct the errors of the last 20 or 30 years we since 9/11 in particular where we've been overextended and having regime change as the centerpiece of our foreign policy seeing military as the lead instrument of our foreign policy so the way I would describe Quincy is that we want to rectify the imbalance we want to put diplomacy first again and within that there's a there's a range and you know I think you know, some people might want to pull back from things like the NATO alliance. But that is, is—is I wouldn't say that was characteristic of the Institute or of this trend in U.S. national security discussion.
1: You know what I find refreshing? Having a discussion about things like policy. Yeah. You know? We're just sitting there and we're going, you know, what should the US do? And not, you know, how much money has this guy stolen? And what color is his face today? And
0: uh, wouldn't it be nice not to have an all politics, all the time diet? It,
1: yes. I, it, you know, and I'll tell you something I'm going to provide you a Uh, a kind of an opening for this discussion and i'm going to kick it off with you corey and then we'll just go around the group but this morning i woke up i got up early i was doing like morning joe to do my book promotion and they were nice enough to invite me on and that went okay
2: hold on hold on yes can we just pause for a moment yes you just let that slip right by i agree morning joe Please, would you kindly tell our readers a little bit about your book and then we can explain to them how they can buy it and how they can buy it for their
3: friends? Yes. This is publication week. It is publication. Rosa
0: stole my opening salvo. I absolutely agree with what she and Joe just said. Come on, David, stop holding out on us. Well, <laughs> Die, Don't be modest.
1: Oh, I, you know, I, I had my, I, it was one of my daughter's birthdays this week, and so we had a lunch yesterday. And they were like, "Okay, so this is what you do: you go to Twitter, and you have all these celebrity followers in Hollywood, and then you DM them and you send them a book, and then they read the book, and then they, because they've got a million followers, they say this is a great book. So you know, you've really got to go out there and you've got to start, you know, to, to, to reaching out to these, you know, sort of Hollywood big shots." And I'm like, I'm too shy you know i mean i don't mind like talking on tv but i am you know not going to do that but i will tell you guys because you're friends um the book is called traitor a history of american betrayal from benedict arnold to donald trump um and um what it's got in it is something for corey which is history Um, It begins at the beginning of American history, and it goes all the way through looking at different cases of people who have betrayed the country. Uh, And it's got something for Rosa because a lot of it's legal stuff, and there's a lot of legal cases there, including why, for example, uh, we, we almost never charge anybody with treason these days because it's very hard to get a conviction. You have to actually... Have betrayed the country to an enemy with whom we have declared a war, and there have to be a certain number of, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, edit witnesses to the to, to the incident and so forth. Um, and uh, and so it talks about why um, we can actually call somebody like Donald Trump a traitor because he has betrayed the country, and it talks about the manifold ways that he's done that and how the evidence has piled up, but we've become numb to it. Uh, And it's got something for Joe because I know that Joe um, has strong opinions on on subjects like these. And I don't mince words when I come to the final conclusion that I think Donald Trump is not like any other president, nor is he like any other um, uh, person who has betrayed the country. Because at the end of the day, he was the president and he was in a position to do more damage and damage he did, whether it had to do with the Russia case or the COVID case or corruption um and uh and i think that when you look at him in the context of history it sort of takes away the numbing of the daily stories about trump and offenses and his hair and his skin and is that really his wife in the picture and all this other kind of stuff and you stop and you go holy mackerel we've never had a situation like this before and i'm glad it came out a little bit before the election Um, because I think it's the kind of thing that sort of shakes us and says, holy, you know, this is the worst president for a reason. And what he's done is not something that we should take for granted, reaching out to our enemies, colluding with our enemies, defending our enemies, undermining our system of law to protect our enemies, um, rewarding our enemies, opening the door to those enemies to attack us again, um, is extraordinary. And, and, and it requires accountability. And a lot of the discussion on Morning Joe this, this morning, or at least some of it had to do with the fact that I believe that he should be held accountable. And, uh, Joe Scarborough was a little bit, uh, uh cautious about that because he said, you know, we, we can't be in the position of, um, you know, convicting people of an opposite party. And my point is, no, shouldn't do it for political reasons. Um, but if the law is the law and somebody has violated the law and you don't hold them accountable to the law, it'll happen again and again. And it has happened again and again. And I think we need to learn the lesson of that. So is that too you mean much?
0: happened again and again in the Trump uh... In the Trump presidency, right? You don't it again and again over American history.
1: I actually do mean it's happened again and again over American history because I think Gerald Ford shouldn't have pardoned Richard Nixon, and I think that the Iran Contra wrongdoers shouldn't have been pardoned, and uh, I think that when people um, break the law, they should be held accountable to the law. And we, you know, that we 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 have we have set up the situation that a guy like Donald Trump thinks he can get away with it because in the past people have broken the law and they haven't They haven't been held accountable.
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. There have to be consequences for the crimes that they've committed, the ones that use detail in your book. I haven't read the book yet, but I read the stellar review in The Guardian which mm-hmm. praises this book, calls it essential reading. reading. And, and one of the reasons The Guardian raises is exactly this is after this, people have to be held accountable. If you believe in deterrence, if you wanna deter people from doing this kind of thing, again, there have to be, has to be punishment for those who have done it, otherwise there's no deterrence, otherwise history will repeat.
2: Well, this is not a comment on the substance of this discussion, although I have thoughts on that as well. But David, I don't think I have any famous celebrity followers in my Twitter feed. Here's what you should do you should DM your famous celebrity followers, tell them to follow me and Corey and Joe, and then Corey and Joe and I will DM them and tell them that your book is awesome and ask them to tweet about your book.
1: That seems a little convoluted, but I'm willing to do that. (laughs) Um, I'm willing, you know, promoting a book, most people think-
2: And all of our listeners, if you happen to be a celebrity with a lot of followers, you need to DM, you need to tweet about David's book.
1: That's a, you know, that's an excellent point, Rosa, very constructive, perhaps the best point you've made in five years on, of doing this, but um, they, no, that's not true. But, but I, you know, I would say, um, I'm a little shy about doing these things. I'm happy to do it. I'm going to do a lot of TV and podcasts and other kinds of things this week. We actually have a podcast tomorrow, which is a bit of an experiment where um, our friend, Ed Luce who wrote a very nice um a bit about the book in the FT um, uh, is going to talk to me about the book. And the reason I didn't call all of you up to, to do this was he had already read it. So I thought, why impose this book and everybody else? Um, And so he's going to do a thing. And if you go to the DSrnetwork.com and you click on, on, on signing up for it um, you can actually do something. It's kind of an experiment for us. We're going to do a webinar and people pay a little f- bit i think it's 40 bucks they get a book i will autograph the book to anybody in their family we'll send it directly to you and and then you get to ask questions
2: they get a trader too or just the book
1: they get a trader we send them a piece of benedict arnold
2: Excellent. in the
1: mail um Relic. actually the, there's some that are worse i mean aaron burr was worse than benedict arnold by far um and uh um, that they're, they're you know they're, they're they're a bunch of them um some of them shouldn't be messed with you know john brown was convicted of treason by the state of virginia for doing something that was essentially a heroic act um so you know i i don't I, want i don't want to disturb the graves of too many of them in any event um, if you go to the dsr network you can sign up you pay 40 bucks you get to join in the conversation with me and ed you get a book. Uh, and if that works, by the way, one of the things we're thinking of doing is periodically having everybody together and doing more interactive versions of the show where people can sign on and ask you guys questions instead of having me ask you guys questions. If
2: people want to pay $40, I will send them some pirate's booty. <laughs>
0: <Because laughs>
2: yeah, Trader $50. Joe's
0: will do that for about
2: $5. Hey. Yeah, but they should pay more because mine is better.
1: Um.
3: <laughs> I'm pretty sure you just ate it all. I've been watching you, Rosa. Did
2: eat it all. <laughs> I ate a lot, but, but I have a supply.
1: Well, you know, Rosa has has been a little under the weather. We're, I we're, have, we're I have. we were worried about. No, you don't. You don't. Have, we live in an age where if you get sick, like Rosa has been, then you have to say the first thing you have to say is, "I didn't have COVID."
2: I I didn't have I I didn't have COVID. But it doesn't matter. Even if I did have COVID, I don't go out, so that's fine.
1: Yeah. Well. I just
2: sit here eating pirate's booty.
1: Yeah, well, basically, to sum this up, we're doing all of this as a dry run for the future books of all of you guys. And the next person amongst you as a book, I believe in February, is Rosa Brooks. And what is, what is the name of your book, Rosa Brooks?
2: The name of my book, David, is Tangled Up in Blue, Policing the American City. And you can pre-order it on Amazon.
1: Yes, and if you want, you can order my book and Rose's book. Corey, time. when are you going to have a book? Like, 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 what are you doing? It's a, it's you know, there's COVID out. What write a book?
0: I am starting writing a book on um, wars lost as mm. failures of imagination. Oh, um, strategy being the ability to be sufficiently paranoid that you're always worried about what could go wrong and therefore correcting and adjusting your strategy to new information. This is but why I could be, be a-
2: secretary of defense, because I'm always paranoid. This is
0: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's the book's not going to be done anytime soon.
1: Well, we'll we'll have our book promotion apparatus perfected by the time that it is. What, so what about you, Joe?
0: Can I ask a question about Rosa's book? Because sure. is this the one you became a police officer to research? I did.
2: I, did. Uh, I fabulous. Spent, I spent more more than four and a half years as a reserve police officer in Washington D.C., and so this book is uh, uh, draws on those experiences
1: yeah and the fact that i moved to new york during that period has nothing to do with the fact that rosa was wandering the city with a weapon <laughs> um joe are you going to write a book
3: i i may have one more book in me i've written or edited seven books and i'm thinking of one on the tragedy of american nuclear policy the, the costs of our failures uh, over the last 75 years well, and this might be a segue to turn from what we've been discussing to the actual the substance of the podcast, because in some ways the failures of the Trump administration over the past four years have created the opportunity, should Biden be elected, to reconstruct U.S. national security policy. And I don't think that means just going back to what it was four years ago or even 10 years ago, but it gives us a chance to look at a new expanded definition of, of national security and within that a new definition of nuclear policy. How many weapons do we need? How much do we want to spend? How important are they in the calculus of, uh, of protecting uh, America's security? So that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of, of writing for a book, and it may help uh, launch a, a little policy discussion in the rest of this podcast.
1: Okay, well, fine. We won't talk about my book anymore. Um, yeah, I, I think I think uh, I think it 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 does, and it sort of leads into where I was going with this thing, which is. Yeah. I was thinking about the election and I'm gonna say a bunch of things that I'll probably be struck dead by lightning for saying, but I've been thinking about this week. I don't think it's turning out exactly as I thought it was going to. Um Biden's lead is sort of being maintained, and I I'm I'm I dare not say this and Rosa will come down on me, but maybe Corey won't. I'm a little bit optimistic. I'm I'm a little bit I, I know, I know I
2: I, I shouldn't be.
1: <laughs> I I know I shouldn't be, but I'm gonna. I'm let's just sort of set aside. Yeah, Trump's gonna do some horrible shit, and he's gonna try to cheat and so forth. And I I'm just thinking I I, I think that the the margin of victory is gonna be enough that 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 it may not be possible for him to do that. But the reason I'm optimistic is the election is gonna be over. And I've just started thinking, you know, there may be a new president, there may be a new administration, mm-hmm. and things may start to get fixed. And they're not all going to be fixed perfectly. They're going to be a lot of mistakes. But, but, Corey, wouldn't that be just a fantastic world where, in, you know, Washington started to get a little boring again?
0: Oh, absolutely. I have been tempted to make bumper stickers that say make American politics boring again, because I am so desperately yearning for some boring competence out of my government for somebody to come up with an actual plan for how we Should be managing this pandemic in a way that doesn't require us to all be barricaded in our homes forever. But that
2: you know what? I like being barricaded in my home.
0: (laughs) Rosa, you can remain barricaded as long as you you want, my friend. (laughs) Um, I, on the other hand, miss baseball games and go into Mexican restaurants and um, all of the conviviality that makes the doing of my job, thinking of new ideas and sharing them with people and hearing what other people are doing. God, I miss doing that in person so much. Um, so yeah, David, it would be wonderful. Uh, you know that one of my favorite recurring jokes on Twitter throughout the last three and a half years has been asking whether it's infrastructure week yet right? Because remember, early on, Trump was going to focus on infrastructure, and it became one of the first debacles of his enervating uh, narcissism. Well, we actually could use a genuine infrastructure week. And at a time when the American economy it needs defibrillation, I think you could get a lot of bipartisan support for splashing out with ways to keep people employed, to train people for jobs coming down the pike, and to rebuild our infrastructure in the process.
1: So, Joe, one of the things I miss about the, you know, the normalcy was the number of pictures I would see on social media of you sitting in the stands of a baseball stadium <laughs> yourself, um, because I, I I know that was all very important to you. And I don't want to minimize, you know, I mean, COVID is getting worse. We're, we're in We're entering the worst period of this crisis. And I think this is one of those generationally defining crises. This, you know, much as the Vietnam War was for a bunch of people or the the Gulf Wars may have been for others, um, for a lot of people this year or year and a half or two years locked indoors, uh, losing hundreds of thousands of people. Um, losing jobs and suffering, is horrific. Um, But a new administration might bring some competence to that and help us to battle it. Do you have any stirrings, Joe, of optimism?
3: I do. I do. and I don't know when we're going to get back to baseball. I don't know if we'll be in the stands next April or May. Although, Corey, you still owe me (laughs) tickets to the uh, Nats-Cardinals game. As a result of our friendly wager on on the twenty, 20- I do recall it. I do recall it, Joe. And we were we were all set. We were going to go in July, and then well, there was no <laughs> July for baseball, so we, we we missed it. But you know, when we this and you know, Donald Trump is making fun of Joe Biden for saying winter is coming and this is going to be dark. And but but he's right. This is going to be a very, very tough winter. But in, the, in the, in during that winter, while we're struggling with the pandemic, if Joe Biden's elected, I think we will once again have a government that's going to be able to mount an effective response to COVID. Unlike this administration, which, as you saw over the weekend, has basically given up on trying to contain the, the virus, according to Mark Meadows, the White House uh, chief of staff. And, and 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 so you will be able to have some effort that could contain this virus, that can hopefully bring a vaccine to market, arrange an actual distribution system for it, and in the same time, do all the other things that a government's supposed to do. And if you want to know what I mean, all you got to do is look at the 60 Minutes interview from Sunday night, or the dueling town halls that were held Two weeks ago. And you see what Rosa and Corey have been talking about that the madness of the Trump world where you're trapped in his conspiracy theories and insults and grievances, and you go round and round and round. And then you talk to you talk to Joe Biden, and it gets kind of boring. You know, it gets kind of like Washington policy boring. Why? Because he's talking about infrastructure, because he's talking about how green new jobs, because he's talking about recommitting to America's alliances, you know, and the kind of of, uh, nuts and bolts work that we haven't been doing for the last four years that we're gonna do, and I am optimistic about that. I mean, look, Joe Biden was not my first choice. He was not my second choice, but he may have been the best choice to win this election to, to develop a nonpartisan style or bipartisan style that might be able to bind the wounds. And he's on, he's on the right track. And I'm, so I am optimistic, one, I'm with you. I think he's going to win. I think he's going to be elected. And I think the election might even be so big that it it overcomes uh, Trump's efforts to derail American democracy. And that once he gets in, we're going to be so relieved to have that. And that there's a very good chance we could keep together this united front against Trumpism that has been constructed to, to get Trump out of office, and we can keep big portions of that coalition together to do some of the big work we have to do on climate change, on pandemics, on income inequity, on racial justice, and on building a new national security strategy.
1: So, you know, Rose, I know you've been sick, and I that's why I bring this subject up with some caution, and I'm glad you're in your a lounger there so that you can recline if this conversation becomes too strainful straining for you but um and I, and I really I don't think I've asked you this in 5 years but do you have any stirrings of optimism in there in the deep dark <laughs> recesses of your soul <laughs>
2: you know i i i actually do david i i think that there is there is bad news and good news um so so and let me just start with the bad news because i feel more comfortable that way um on, on, brand. on brand um so here's the bad news uh even if biden wins in a landslide and you know god god willing right um even if biden wins in such a landslide that nobody really seriously is able to say, oh, it was fake or whatever. And everybody's like, yeah, OK, he won. Um, the forces that have been unleashed during Trump's presidency are not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. They're there. You know, The QAnon stuff, the increasingly organized and armed uh, extremist white supremacist militia groups, they're there and they're not going to disappear. Uh, overnight, even if Biden wins in a landslide and it's going, and, and, and the, the, the damage that has been done to American institutions, to popular faith and trust in democracy in American institutions is not going to go away either. It's not going it, to, it, you know, that, that, that changing that is not going to be the work of an administration a presidential administration it's going to be the work of a generation or more um and you know we know this we know this this is one of the tragic things about about humanity right and we know this from looking at other societies that have that have gone from democracies to authoritarian or totalitarian regimes or that have plunged into atrocity you know we know it's, it's fast and it's frankly pretty easy to wreck a democracy and it's the work of generations to fix it. Um, so that's the bad news is that this stuff is not going away. We're gonna have a lot of work, a lot of extraordinarily difficult work to do no matter what happens in this election, even if there is a resounding Biden victory, and we all get to celebrate infrastructure decade and talk about building bridges and job creation, and it's boring, and we're having fun talking about boring stuff. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. and and I, and I, and I said that and I said this even even before Trump was elected, actually. Um so, you know, The silver lining of the Trump era has been, it has shaken up our ideological categories in really substantial ways. And what does it mean to be a Republican? What does it mean to be a Democrat? That the the space, the breadth of American political ideas uh, has, has greatly increased, right? We can talk about democratic socialism. You know, we can, you know, Republicans can talk about, well, maybe, you know, but maybe budget deficits are okay. Uh, you know, we can, you know, all these, co- we can talk, we can talk, I mean, the debate that you and that you and Corey started with, you know, do we need to not have wars because we're way too interventionist? Do we need to be, do we need to be much more active in terms of the U.S. global military presence and, and be the world cop? in many ways, you know, was there an in-between? All of those conversations, I think, have not only have a new urgency precisely because Trump has done so much damage, but I think, I think certainly in the foreign policy community, uh, Democrats and Republicans have found a lot of common ground uh, mm-hmm. on a lot of issues and have also found a willingness to kind of say, whoa, we did a really shitty job justifying and explaining some of our most basic assumptions and maybe some of our most basic assumptions are wrong and we need to re-examine them and that's really exciting to me you know i think i think that that and it's going to be hard work too you know but that project both on foreign policy and on domestic policy as well as the you know obvious overlap between the two you know that 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 I think there's, if Biden wins, there will be both a space for and an urgent need for a kind of really radical rethinking of what is America? You know, what's our project here? What, is, what does it mean? What kind of foreign policy should we have? What kind of social contract should we have? What does it mean to be a democracy at this moment? What does it mean to be a diverse and rapidly changing Democracy at this moment, and those conversations are urgent. They're going to be extraordinarily difficult, but I think it's also really exciting, and I think that we we're going to have an opportunity to have those conversations in a in a different and more and much healthier and more open way than we have had for for
3: decades. First I think of that's all, exactly of right. I'm dying to hear what you guys think. Corey. Well, I
1: mean, I'd like to I'd like to go around, but then Corey, first of all, I'm, i I just want to give. Was you-
3: optimistic,
2: the- right?
1: That was pretty optimistic. And I would like to give, you know, Corey a chance, you know, to (laughs) pat you on the back for that Uh, big, you know, we've, it's taken a while to get there. And she is the permanent holder of the tiara of optimism. But, you know, as you were talking, Rosa, I I actually had a kind of a strain of uh, of not just being optimistic, but I, I was a little bit moved by something as I, as I, as I thought about it. Um, and, you know, we heard even in the opening exchange between between Corey and Joe that there are big differences between the parties on a variety of issues. And and, you know, there are some issues in on foreign policy and national security policy that are flashpoint issues. They're really there's there's really a lot of tension about them. But one of the things that the Trump era showed was that there was a big cross section within the national security and foreign policy community, particularly, where we would we come together, and it's like Corey becoming a Never Trumper, and and you know um, you know Elliot Cohen. There's a whole list of, of of Republican leaders who said, "Nope, there's a line. We can't cross that line, and we are going to work together, and we are going to work towards these values." And to me, what made it kind of moving is I, I, I don't want to downplay the differences that exist, but one of the things that I have always been drawn to in being in the foreign policy community is that this was the place where the two parties could come closest together, where there was, even with differences, an ideal outside the borders of the U.S., of serving a common interest, of defending common values, of promoting sort of base-level common issues. And and frankly, the Trump era has given an opportunity for that, and there are a lot of folks, people who are on this show regularly, you know, Corey is one, Max Boot is another, David Frum is, you know, there are lots of them who have been courageous and have, have reaffirmed my faith in that ideal. Anyway, Corey, may react to some of that, and we'll go around one more time.
0: Thank you, David. That was such a beautiful compliment, my friend. Um, in both your and Rosa's comments, uh, and I know Joe feels this buoyant sentiment as well, uh, I stumbled recently across a quote from Churchill, which which. Is making me optimistic. And I think I even heard a little bit of it in Rosa's commentary. And a which is going
2: a little far, Corey.
1: <laughs> well, actually, it was <laughs> Churchill talking about pirate's booty, which he loved.
2: Oh,
0: okay, Churchill said. says we ought to rejoice at the responsibilities with which destiny has honored us and be proud that we are guardians of our country in an age in which her life is at stake. And that really resonates for me right now because I do feel like democracy in America is at stake. Um, And all of us are being given the privilege of standing to be counted, that the election be free and fair and that the rule of law is honored in this country and all of the other things that we do think of as both common values and common motivators of America's action in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Joe, what are you, I mean, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts.
3: Number one, what Rosa said about the, the destruction of Trump sort of clearing away some of the structures that had sort of been the parameters of our previous discussions is absolutely right. What does it mean to be a Republican? What does it mean to be a, D- a Democrat now? What about Democrats? all that stuff? A lot of that stuff is, is now up, up in the air. And I know I feel this personally. I mean, before Trump, I thought of David Trump, for example, or, or Bill Kristol as my arch enemies, as the people who had, had lied us into a needless war in Iraq. And that this was the force we had to overcome in order to have a just and effective US foreign policy. Well, we're on the same side of the barricade now. I, I see them or I saw them when we used to go to things like green rooms and, and, and restaurants, and we talk now because we realize there is a greater enemy. There's a greater enemy and that is Trumpism. And we have been in a united front against Trumpism and it's forged these bonds and it's made us realize that some of our differences are are pale in comparison to this greater threat. We've seen that there's a greater enemy out there and it's authoritarianism and it's real. And we are real close to succumbing to it. And if Joe Biden lose, loses, we may succumb to it. We, we're going to be having a very different conversation in a few weeks if, if Joe Biden uh, and Kamala Harris lose. But and in so doing, what that also means is they've kind of distanced themselves from those policies too. They don't feel as strongly as they once did about the importance of regime change strategy. They realize that this this policy has failed. And if... If you go read foreign, poly- foreign Affairs this week, go up to the website on Foreign Affairs, Matt Duss has a great article about learning the lessons of that. And you could read Matt Duss's article, which is over on the left side of this debate, where I am, you know, and I, so I agree with every word he said. And you can also read Joe Biden's foreign, policy, foreign Affairs article, which he wrote in April, which talks about restoring American leadership. But when he defines American leadership, it's not in the old way. It's about leadership on pandemics leadership on on climate change, leadership on income inequity. In other words, this expanded definition of what national security is. And I think this is the debate we're going to have. If Biden wins, this is the debate we're going to have. It's not determined yet, but all these forces are going to have a say in it. And I am mildly optimistic that we can arrive at a rough consensus that can carry us through at least the beginning of the next couple of years, get us back in the international institutions that Trump has pulled us out of, reconstruct some of the, um, the, 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 the edifices, the laws, the regulations, the guide rails that he's torn down and find some kind of unity and keep this unity going that keeps you know a coalition that spans the democratic socialists and the linking project, that we can keep a big part of that coalition uh, together in on these big critical issues
2: and, and, and part of that conversation you know should be a, a sort of lessons learned not in a not in a finger pointing kind of way of you know well it's your fault Bill crystal you know it's your fault so and so you know but it but in a way that sort of says what were the forces and actions and decisions that may have been made in all good faith but that got us to donald trump yeah you know, and that got us to trumpism and and what do we need to do to fix that? You know, and that and that's a really important conversation to have too. And I think that there is a an openness to having that conversation, on both the left and the right, uh, and the middle that we haven't seen for for some for some time.
3: I, I think that's exactly right. And just to close, to add to that for one second, Matt Duss in his article, Matt Duss is the National Security Advisor to Bernie Sanders, and working very closely with the Obama, uh, with the uh, Biden rather. Uh, uh, campaign, uh, and he suggests we have a commission that we actually do something like a 9/11 commission, but for real this time. That would look back on on the the, the policy since 9/11 and come to some kind of judgments on that. What was right? What was wrong? What do we need to change going forward?
1: Well, you know, I think, I
0: think that would be one of the quickest ways to repolarize the situation of folks who have come together to support Biden?
1: Well, it, it, it could be a flashpoint. I personally haven't really thought about a foreign policy commission. I do think that it's important to hold people who broke the law accountable, as I said at the beginning, and I hope that we do that in some some respect, whether there's a a, a truth and reconciliation commission or not. But Um, as we have come to the end of our our conversation here, I I am struck by the fact that we, um, assuming we can get out on the far end of this thing um, in one piece, have gone through a shared experience. It's a little bit like the COVID experience. We've gone through the Trump experience, and it has reminded all of us of the importance of democracy, of the values that we've talked about. It's tested some of our beliefs about them. It's reminded us of the threats of authoritarianism, of autocrats who would impose their will, of men who would place themselves above the rule of law in the country. And in that, we have been brought together, and we will debate what our Middle East policy should be, and what our nuclear policy should be, and how much we should spend on defense, and um, how tough the United States should be and how multilateral we should be and what treaties we should be in and so forth, as we always have. But, you know, there can be in going through an experience like this, something not just reaffirming something that does not just bring us back together, but that's something that reminds us why we are doing this in the first place. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am concerned, of course, that the election will be gamed, that there will be chicanery, that there will be bad outcomes. But as I said, I, I, I am hopeful, and I am hopeful that in the wake of that, we can use the four years of Trump in a constructive way, uh, as opposed to um, uh, allowing it to simply have diminished us without any recovery at all. We'll see. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it on, you know, deep state radio going forward. Uh, There was a time when Rosa and Corey and I, and Joe would come in periodically and Ed and, and, and David would sit there and we would talk about Syria policy. You know, we would talk about, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, civil military relations uh, instead of, 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 of talking about, you know, the horrors of the, of the past few years. And, you know, I look forward to it, and I know our audience is nerdy enough. You know, they're fundamentally nerdy enough to 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 look forward to it as well. Uh, so, you want to see what we've got coming? We we do have this thing tomorrow. If you there are only a couple of seats left, but if you want to sign up for it, uh, go to the DSR Network, click on it, sign up. I'll send you a book. You know, I'll write it to your. Mom or your dad or your sister, or your brother, whatever you want me to do. And we'll have a good discussion about that. We're going to have a discussion a little later in the week. Hopefully, Rosa is going to come back for it. We're trying to find the time on how do we ensure the elections <laughs> go off without it at a hitch. Corey's laughing because Rosa is now playing with the Zoom filters and she's wearing a pirate hat and an eye wow. patch. What happens
2: if you have pirate booty for lunch? With,
1: to go with her pirate booty. Uh, and and we'll do a we'll do a podcast later in the week also on COVID because I think we have to recognize that we're about to enter the worst part of the COVID crisis. Um, so alongside the optimism requires caution and skepticism skepticism and hard work. Um, and you know we encourage all of you to do that. Uh, and so in the meantime, thank you Corey. Thank you Joe. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, who's bought the book already. Uh, thank you to those of you who are about to go. As soon as you hang up from this, go to buy it.
3: And uh, and we'll see you on an up, up, upcoming episode soon. Bye-bye.